Warning, Adam. Yeah, don't you start, Jared, this morning, please. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'll leave the 7-0 win for Liverpool at Anfield alone against Manchester United. We'll start with uh, you covered the Tigers-Titans last night there at Leichhardt. Uh, find some reason to cheer Clarkie up, would you? Yeah, morning to you too, Clarkie. I'm sure it was a good weekend after watching that last night. Yeah, it all started well. Thursday, yeah. Friday, Saturday, brilliant. Yesterday, Devo. Yeah, they, I thought they showed some good signs, Jared. to be fair, at, at mm. stages throughout the game. Um, but again, their execution at really key moments let them down. And I suppose they've got to find that balance between playing that really attacking style of football that Tim Sheens and Benji Marshall want them to play. You see, it's a high energy, lots of offloads. But if you're going to make a lot of mistakes like I did yesterday, you're not going to win too many games. And they got into so many good attacking areas last night, particularly in that first half. I think the one thing that was concerning for me was their, their, their red zone attack with all at sea, to be honest. They looked more dangerous attacking from the halfway line and in 50 and 60 metres out than what they did inside the 10 or 20 of the Titans. And I think we saw at one stage Adam Dewey putting a kick on the second tackle and had a full set inside the Titans 20. And that's just frustration and a little bit of panic, um, to be fair. I don't want to say anything bad about Adam Dewey. I think he was clearly their best or most threatening player in the second half. But, yeah, they've got a bit of work to do. I thought the Gold Coast defended really well and um, probably deserved that win. But uh, I suppose for those Tigers fans coming to expect a new era, probably wasn't the greatest start they could expect there yesterday. Uh, do you think the NRL coaches have got the right to question the use of the independent doctor, Adam? No, no loss, not at all, not at all. I think the NRL, the path they're going down at the moment is the exact right path. I know there'll be a lot of people who are going to disagree with me on, on that front, uh, but I think we've seen in the past that players, they need protecting from themselves, themselves loss. I remember I wrote a story for the Herald a couple of years ago. Um, the, the Roosters doctor, Tom Longworth, who's been a doctor of that club for many years now, did publish, a, I suppose, a, a medical journal or a study finding where he, he researched and, and surveyed players from a lot of different clubs and what he found was an anonymous survey and what he found in that survey there's players who were virtually admitting that they hide concussion symptoms from from doctors and medical staff because they want to keep playing so yeah sometimes i think maybe the independent doctor does go overboard a little bit dragging players off the field but you've got to remember they, they are not actually diagnosing a concussion when they take a player off the field they're just saying they're potential signs of a concussion and they want that player checked so then it's up to obviously the, the club medico to, to check that out and decide whether the player goes back onto the field or not. And I know in a situation like Kalen Ponger's there on Friday night, you know, that he can argue the saying, listen, I was fine. It was a critical part of the game. But the independent doctors have to take a, a conservative approach. We, we've seen that in the game. So I know there's going to be a lot Adam, of talk can about... they do that from not being at the ground? Like, well, is, I... do, you, is that, is, do you think that's... Is, is it fair to do that via vision? Yeah, Clarky, in some respects, it's better for them to not be at the ground because they have access to more cameras, more video angles. They can see stuff that they wouldn't see at the ground. So like, yeah, okay. Like, okay. I, I understand that, you know, actually diagnosing concussion, you probably need to be there face to face. But again, I stress the point. They are not actually diagnosing concussion. Mm. Mm. They are just saying that there's potential signs of the concussion. They want that player checked. So, oh, listen, I know it's going to cause some drama. I know coaches are there to win football games. Players are there to win football games. But... What they're doing at the moment, I think, is they're going down the right path. Yep, they might have been a little bit ultra-conservative and safe there on the weekend. But I think the NRL's... I truly believe the NRL's doing the right thing. Yeah, no, I, I think we all agree on that. The, the one that I had some concerns about is just... I, I thought I saw ones on the weekend that were similar to guys being Pongers. taken from the field but were allowed mm. to stay out there. That's all. Yeah, and, and, and I agree with you a lot. And, and that's where the confusion comes because you're following your team and you see it happen to your player and then you see mm. something else happen in that game and you're going, well, hang on, why doesn't he leave the field? 
Yeah, and I know there probably does need to be better consistency across the board. But, but for example, Loz, I'll give you an example from last night. I was at the Tigers and Titans game, obviously, and Sean Bloor, the Tigers back row, got hauled off for a HIA, I think, midway through the first half. And he came to the sideline, and he was, I'm not going to say ropeable, but he's extremely frustrated and upset. He's shaking his head, saying, why am I coming from the field? Why are they doing this to me? Blah, blah, blah. He went up the tunnel, and guess what? He failed his HIA. So mm. if that was left in the players' hands, or maybe even the club doctor's hands, then he's probably still on the field. So, listen, it's just the way the way the game's going at the moment. I know it's a very, I suppose, sensitive subject, but I think they've got to err on the side of caution and let's just let them do their job. Let's talk some racing and Zach Purton. What a day he had there. Artorius winning the Canterbury Stakes and Communists with a bit of a boil over there in the Randwick Guineas. Yeah, just I'd love to see him back down in Australia riding more often, wouldn't you, Jared? I know he's probably in the twilight of his career and Zach's made some serious noise in the last six to 12 months in particular about coming towards the end of his riding career. And he might not even see at the end of 2023 the way it stands. He might finish the season in Hong Kong and, and that's it. But what a pleasure it was to see him in action there on the weekend. We'll start off on Artorius. Well, what is it? More than two years since his last win, wasn't it, in the Blue Diamond? So, and again, Zach just showed the value of just pinching one or two pairs closer in the run than what he, what he usually is. He's a horse that's usually last, second last, third last in the run. And he, he was just able to settle a little bit closer to midfield there. And it took a while to wind up, to be fair. But you thought Imperatrice was the winner all over in the last 100 metres or so. But he, he absolutely launched Labor Artorias. So that's the type of horse that he is once he gets out to gets conditions in his favour, out to 1,300 metres. And a nice conservative ride from Zaki. He really put his best foot forward there on the weekend. So good placement by Anthony and Sam Freeman. I don't think it was the strongest group one we're going to see in Sydney. We've seen for a while. We'll see throughout the Autumn Carnival. But he was clearly the class act in that race. And then moving on to the Randwick Guineas. Well, geez, I was filthy. Lozzi Penko came out on Saturday morning because after the Ask Cabin's performance, I... Mm. I thought that was Osipenko's race there, but unfortunately, Chris Wallace said that he had an elevated temperature, so he was withdrawn from the Randwick Guineas. And take nothing away from Communists, just a, a really nice bit of placement from Michael Friedman. I think we saw in the spring last year when that horse got to a mile, there was a much better horse than over six or seven furlongs. So, again, Zach, perfectly rated ride, got the job done. Our cabin was probably a little bit disappointing given the price from back in the field there. But, uh, yep, big group one double for Zach there at Randwick on the weekend. Well, what did you make of the Everest winner, Giga Kick, making a return? Yeah, he was good, Loz. Uh, had that trouble at the start, got a bit of a squeeze and a bit of interference and had to settle way back in the field there. And the two leaders were from Gorn, Eduardo and Passive Aggressive. So what under Graham Beck, found the right race for his mare to come up to Sydney to, to really pick up an, an, another stakes race up here. And I think he gets him for a big preparation, to be fair. I know a 1,000 metres probably a little bit short of his best distance. He'll be aimed towards the TJ Smith stakes, obviously, later in the campaign. So... I don't think there's any doubt he's a horse he want to take out of the race. And it wasn't good to see the old boy Eduardo back. He, um, he struggled at the back end of his spring campaign, trolled up nicely this time. I think Joe Pride, hopefully, has got him back on track and maybe another win or two in store for him later in his career. The two-year-olds out of the Todman and the Risling, learning to fly, just stayed unbeaten. Now $4.50 on the second line of betting. Cylinder now the favourite after winning the Todman. Yeah, it's going to be an open slippery, isn't it, Jared? I think we saw there on the weekend, they both ran fairly... Well, I suppose the, the Colts were a couple of lengths quicker than the Phillies there with Cylinder. Obviously, they went, came home a lot quicker in the, in the Todman Stakes than they did in the Riesling. So, oh, he's just been flying under the radar a bit, hasn't he, Cylinder? He's just a really professional Colt. We saw there on the weekend, he, he could settle on speed and then managed to outfight Red Resistance. He's a very tough horse, again, Adrian. So, another string to his bow there. And back to the Phillies, well... You would have thought, for all money, Facile had the had the drop on learning to fly then. She was going to run past her, but it was a really tough win by learning to fly. I don't think Annabelle Nee should be too disappointed about that, but she's lost favoritism, favoritism obviously, with the Colts running faster time. And two weeks to go to the Slipper Boys. It's going to be a very, very open race, in my opinion. 
Terrible fall in the Australian Guineas. Ethan Brown set for more surgery today. Yeah, shocking news, wasn't it, Jared? Uh, that was a story out of the race, obviously, and he's got more surgery today. He's still in intensive care in a, in a serious condition, I think, but hopefully he gets that surgery done in theatre today. Uh, the abdominal injuries is a big concern for him, so we're wishing Ethan uh, all our best because it was quite a serious situation there on the weekend. And we'll get some more news later this afternoon or tonight and bring it to you on the program tomorrow morning, boys. And Mark Zara, he walked away, escaped serious injury, and the horses, uh, they are okay. Uh, there was, yeah. uh, I think, an abrasion to the head of one of them, but they were okay. Uh, but, what? yeah, it was a horrible, horrible watch. Quite unbelievable, wasn't it, Jared? It just goes to show how dangerous this sport is. So, yeah, we're wishing Ethan all our best today. Thanks, mate. Have a good day. See you, boys.